Support for this podcast comes from you, the listener. You can give a one-time donation by clicking the link on the top right-hand corner of the mondaychristian.com homepage, or you can click the link in the description below and become a monthly supporter. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hardkoff. Well, Dave, here we go again. And uh, it's one of those days that you feel like... You know, see, you've you've got the lawnmowers going on in the background, and then my whole computer, the desktop computer, decided not to work today. So it's one of those go into emergency mode uh, uh, times. Yeah, for sure. I think it was like I need to go yell at these guys to stop mowing. They go, "Hey, I'm trying to do a Christian (laughs) podcast here. Can you get off the stinking mowers?" (laughs) No, but it's good. They seem to have moved on, so that's they will. They'll switch to the leaf blower pretty soon. (laughs) It's so true. You know, before we begin, I'd be remiss if I didn't just talk a little bit about um, just my heart's been with Afghanistan a lot lately. And um, just, I wanted to read something from, it was Christine Kane that she said, I thought was just so challenging. My wife read it for me before we got on. Uh, It says, at the moment, we are praying desperately for friends on the ground in the health church movement in Afghanistan, where the Taliban are coming after all Christians. Their courage is immense. Most expect to meet Jesus face-to-face in the next two weeks. It is a powerful reminder right now of what matters in making every opportunity count for eternity. And uh, Wow. So, yeah, wow. What a, what, what a challenge. And so, just first off, right off the bat, um, we always say thoughts and prayers, but I just uh, that's something I want to make a diligent commitment towards is, is praying for yeah. those people hurting right now and, and being persecuted around the world. So just wanted yes. to mention that right from the beginning. Amen. Um, our guest on the podcast this week is Daryl Dash, and he is the founder of a new book out, Eight Habits for Growth. And what I love about Daryl Dash, he's a pastor in Toronto, so that's one thing I like about him. Although, as we were talking before off air, I do not share his allegiances in terms of hockey teams. I'm a diehard Habs fan, Montreal Canadiens fan. He is a Leafs fan. Um, but he is the pastor of Liberty Grace Church in Toronto. So he's a church planner, and this is what I like. He writes and he blogs uh, very prolifically, uh, dashhealth.com, I believe, also for the Gospel Coalition in Canada. But he he doesn't just write from this place, like this ivory tower perspective. <laughs> he really writes from a practical on-the-ground perspective. And uh, his whole podcast, his whole ministry of Gospel for Life is just, it, there's so many parallels between that and the idea of the Monday Christian. So I'm excited to bring him on. Let's go Let's ahead and uh, and get started. Daryl, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. It is so good to see you. Thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. And uh, let's just dive right into it here. Why a book about spiritual growth? That's That's the question that we really want to get at in this interview. But I guess even before we start there, You've kind of coined a term, uh, gospel for life, and I just, I love that phrase. So let's start there. Why that phrase, gospel for life? Yeah, years ago, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I was, I, I, I have a bad habit of collecting domains. I basically stopped, and at one point, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of went through this, uh, I don't know, I think Ray Ortland talked about um, a little bit of a gospel awakening in my life. So for a long time, it, it just seemed like the gospel is something that you believe, but 
and then you move on to other stuff. And then there was a period where it just came alive for me, the, the ongoing relevance of the gospel for all of life. And uh, I think around that time, I, I thought, I wonder if anybody's registered that domain. And I, sna- I was amazed. I snatched it up. And uh, I, I sat on it. And then when we began to develop a bit of a ministry, uh, we decided to go with that name. Now, Tim Keller has gone with gospelinlife.com, which is really annoying because everybody that goes <laughs> to Gospel for Life is really looking for Tim Keller. And uh, so, yeah, it, a tough competition. But that's kind of the vision that we would see the relevance of the gospel for all of life. One of the cool things I was just watching your uh, video that you're for your church, Liberty Grace. Um, I think it was a couple of interns they put together this last weekend, and they just showed them interviewing different people in Toronto. I think they did maybe, I don't know, about 10 different interviews of different people and asking them basically that question, you know, what relevancy does Christianity have in your life? And and for those that haven't watched it, watched it I'm assuming uh, most in our audience, um, what did that reveal to you? And what is it like in the culture in which you minister today? That was a very interesting video. The one thing that didn't show up in the video was how many people blew off the the request, you have five minutes to talk. And I know that's part of it. Toronto is a very busy city. Ezra, you would know that. People are always in a rush. And But I, I was surprised that there wasn't more hostility expressed to Christianity. So we're in downtown Toronto. It makes uh, Seattle or Portland almost look like the Bible Belt, <laughs> yeah. And it is it is just so secular, and most people have no concept of Christianity. Uh, so the first surprise was I thought there'd be a lot more hostility towards Christianity. We I, in the states you might have heard of the residential residential school crisis that we've had up here that hmm. um, some churches ran residential schools for the First Nations Indigenous people, and they're discovering now all these children that uh, in unmarked graves. And and so there's a real, I, churches are burning down uh, through arson uh, in, hmm. in parts of Canada. And generally the view is we don't support that, but it's kind of understandable. Uh, we're wondering, yeah. that, that would be generally the public view that we get the anger at the church. Uh, so yeah. I was surprised there wasn't more. So two other surprises, I was surprised at how many people said good things about Christianity and said, well, it's good moral people. Uh, but then the, the other thing that surprised me was people didn't have, by and large, I think, any idea what Christianity actually teaches. So for them, it would just be Christians are nice people doing moral things that have a lot of rules. And we just live in a, a in Toronto where I live, less than 1% of people would go to church. Yeah. And so we're just in a very, very secular area. And I love it, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the people who are in, are in the Bible Belt, in a way, have a harder job than we do. Um, it's different, but I just love the challenge of being Why in, do you in say that? Like, we don't have to convince anybody that they're not a Christian. So mm-hmm. in the past, I've been in churches where one of the first barriers is people have a nominal understanding of the gospel and yet think they're good. Where we are, people know that they're not Christian mm-hmm. and I think there's, so we, we've got another problem, which is people are very prosperous, uh, but when people's lives come crashing down, they know they need something, and they know that they don't have it. So mm-hmm. it, in a lot of ways, it's an easier mission field. Daryl, if I can just follow up on that, um, one thing that I've noticed, and, and probably our culture 
is maybe just like you said, just a bit behind you in, in terms of becoming more and more secular. So my question is, what are the, some of the challenges of ministry where, you know, on one hand, you don't want to identify yourself maybe with some of the negative, like you were surprised that there wasn't more negative uh, pushback about what Christianity actually is. So not identifying yourself with maybe a certain brand of con- Christianity that pushes certain values and um, you don't want to be associated with that. And I really don't either, but also being clear about what Christianity actually is because good, good people doing some good stuff is not the gospel. So I'm thinking of just like these ancient creedal statements that basically put on a note card what they understood Christianity to be. How do you unequivocally clearly state those things to secular people while not also sounding um, arrogant, pushy, or um, angry or exclusive? Because One of the great things is people, so with few exceptions, people have no idea what we're all about. Uh, people say, we say we're Christian or that I'm a pastor and people don't even have it a category. If they do, it would be, oh, I think that it's the people who were part of the insurrection on January the 6th. Um, those are Christians. But even up here, they, they obviously know that we're Canadian, so that's not us. So they're a little bit, they're more confused with what I generally get is I thought that that was only gray haired old ladies or blue haired old ladies in, in these empty buildings that believe that stuff. So it's a huge opportunity because people don't understand how can there be a church of young people in a, a post-secular or a post-Christian um, culture here. So that really works to our advantages. It's like a blank page. It's not a page where people have categories necessarily. The, the bigger problem that we have, uh, I think there's, I don't know if you guys have heard of a book called um, apathyism. And it's a whole idea that it's not, we're not dealing with atheism. We're dealing, he coined a term of, we're dealing with apathy. So this is a, he argues it's a brand new phenomenon that's never existed in history. People have always had very strong reactions to God or gods. And for the first time we live in a culture where there's kind of like a meh, you know, like no relevance to me. I don't have strong feelings for or against. And that's actually harder because it's harder to get to even engage a conversation. So in a way, hostility is better because hostility is somebody's in the game at that point. But when there's apathy, it's really hard to know where to go. That's so. I was interviewing a church planner recently. Uh, well, back months ago, Kyle Hackman, who uh, you might be familiar with, and he was. That was one of the, his biggest challenges that he shared. Was he says, you know, what does it take uh, to make a Canadian annoyed or frustrated? <laughs> um, and is, is that something? Is that would you say that's the biggest challenge that you face in terms of sharing your, the gospel? Yeah, absolutely. So where I, th- what we find where we are is if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, Jesus Christ is everything to me, people are generally, hey, that's cool. It, it, whatever works for you. Like for me, it would be I'm into mindfulness or um, yoga or whatever, or, you know, I'm, it, so it's almost like this, everybody needs to find what works for them. And I don't really mind what you believe. What's weird, I, I really geared up for Tim Keller kind of apologetics for moving to a city center. I thought that we'd be dealing with sophisticated questions about intellectual challenges to faith. And what surprised me is people here have never thought of those. They're not really wrestling with questions of faith. 
And in I've been here nine years, I think. And really, I've dealt with very little in the way of apologetics. People are that's you have to get people to the point where they're even asking questions about God. So that's very challenging. I'll say one thing, Ezra, and you know Toronto really well. I was so challenged because I was complaining one day about what tough soil Toronto is. And I kind of had the speech down about like, it's hard soil and it's so hard here. And I, I heard a guy and he didn't even know that I'd been saying this, but he said, I am so sick and tired of hearing church planters talk about hard soil. I wish that I heard more church planters talk about the power of the gospel, Romans 1 16, mm. right? And I just was so convicted at that point. Like, I think mm. I look to the hard soil more than I look to like the gospel's powerful. Mm. It can, it can penetrate even the heart of soil. So I keep having to remind myself of that because it's pretty easy to get down on, you know, why did God call me to such, such a tough area? Hmm. Wow. You talked, so before I brought you on with your last book, you shared how kind of your wife, I think it was, she, you know, some motivating factors. I forget how all that went, but uh, basically uh, she was in some, what was it like a workout routine or something of that nature? And then you realized, okay, these are some disciplines that we need to put in place in our lives. Is that is that am I stating that correctly? Yeah, good memory. That's exactly right. What okay. happened was uh, she was seeing she she started working for a nutrition company, an online nutrition company. And for me, there's nothing that sounds slimier than an online nutrition company. <laughs> and I I realized that. Uh, and I went to the website and it was like, everything was confirmed. It's like, these guys are complete, you know, they're, they're selling snake oil. Well, I discovered <laughs> they weren't, they actually had PhDs in nutrition. They just needed a better website and they did get it. It's now quite amazing, but they coach different professional hockey teams and uh, professional athletes. And anyway, she got involved with them working for them as an accountant. And I watched her life be transformed. Uh, over the course of two years, I think she lost 60. Now I think it's been over 70 pounds. And she wasn't doing anything crazy. She was just building good nutrition habits. And as a pastor, <laughs> I think we're always looking for parallels, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, all she needed was handles on simple practices that would and that begin to help her to live into what's true. And as a pastor, I began to think, especially in a church plant, we our people are completely I exaggerating a little bit, they're almost completely undiscipled. I began to think about, man, how could we give them handles so that they could take the, these nutrition people had PhDs in theology, right? I love theology. How can I give them handles that they can begin to take this home and build simple habits that would, of course, we know it's all of grace. We know that Jesus has to do the transformation, but we need, you know, when it comes to our spiritual growth, we have a role to play too. And how can I help them play their role in reading scripture and, and just building very basic habits? So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it took watching her transformation to help to, be, to get us thinking about how we could take some of that same approach into the church. That's great. Yeah, well, you one, of the things, go ahead. Go, one of the things I love, you said toward the front, the goal of discipleship is happiness, joy, delight, satisfaction, and intimacy with God. I think sometimes when you look at a journey like this, there's a misconception that it, it's it's going to be hard, and it, it, it will be admittedly sometimes, but just the idea that joy and intimacy, fellowship with God, with other believers is the goal, I think that kind of reframes it for a lot of people that is that are maybe quite unsure that intimacy with God might 
be like the no fun league or something. I, I just I just love that statement at the beginning. So. <clears throat> Yeah, you mentioned in your book, so eight habits here. I'll just read them off real quick in case people haven't checked it out. You talk about making time, rest and refresh, engage the Bible, speak with God, worship and belong, care for your body, simplify and prioritize, and then go the distance. By the way, it's go the distance. Um, It sounds like Field of Dreams. Are you familiar with that movie? I am, yes. Okay, <laughs> we just watched it the other day, and that, that voice, go the distance. So as soon as I read that, I was like, yes. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's great. <laughs> um, but but those eight things, I just want to walk through them real, real briefly, because this is a very um, straightforward, and to me, such a practical thing. And yeah. especially for the people that you're, I'm assuming that you're working with that are new to faith in Christ, um, how important, you know, Jen, uh, your friend uh, Jen uh, Pallock, um, Michelle, if I'm saying that right, um, she, she came in the podcast last uh, last year and talked about just the importance of habits. And so it seems to be a theme. Uh, why are habits so important? Habits shape us. And it, I love Jen's work because she points out that habits can actually be the doorway, the pathway to faith that uh, we think that we change by uh, you know, making big goals and setting out to do things. But what we do on a weekly basis actually does begin to shape how we see the world. And so I think habits are, are just repeated almost like the autopilot of our lives. Um, it, they say, and the stats are all over the place. I don't even know how you quantify this, but they say about half of our life is lived automatically. So, you know, when I go to bed at night, um, I don't have this big debate about, uh, which side of the bed I'm going to sleep on that night, right? It's just, at this point, it's habitual, and I do it without even thinking. And the whole idea is we live at, at probably about half of our lives that way, that we don't even give our thought to, you know, we get in a car. And I remember when I first began to drive, everything was so laborious, right? It's like, okay, key in the ignition, uh, foot on the brake. Um, if you, I drive a standard, so foot on the clutch, you know, shift into neutral everything's like put on, you know, obviously put on the seatbelt but everything and now i don't even think about it i just get in the car and yeah. drive and it's this whole idea of like man the, the stuff we do without even thinking shapes us so if we start hanging around the people of god habitually we might not even realize we're doing it but they begin to shape us if we even if we're not a believer if we begin to read the word of god and it just becomes normal for us i love the story of rosaria butterfield who wasn't a believer but she began to read scripture and just out of an academic interest, actually to attack Christianity. And as she made the habit of reading scripture, I love the statement she makes, scripture became bigger than she was, and it kind of overtook her life. So the habit of scripture reading began to shape her soul and led her to faith. And, and so I think there's a role for, man, we begin doing things, and those habits, God uses those habits to begin to shape our souls. So, yeah, I think habits are, are crucial in not just your Christian life, but in life in general, um, they really shape how we live. That's great. Dave, any thoughts you have on that? Uh, yeah. I, so right, right towards the beginning, uh, you said, uh, actually, I think you quoted uh, Basil, I think, something like, don't, don't try to over-strict, over-strict yourself or over-strict discipline on yourself. It's, it's better to advance in godliness little by little. But I think... So much in our culture, we want everything, you know, for every person that slowly adjusts their diet and consumes a little bit less calories, eats a little more fresh food, 
and drinks more water and like walks around the block a few times where they, they didn't do that before. There are plenty of supplements or things on, on YouTube that are commercial commercialized that are, you know, promising six weeks to, you know, a six pack or something. But just the idea that a small, you know, I think of when, when students come in and say, you know, I'm struggling to read the Bible for myself daily. They want us, they want to start with some giant goal. I said, why don't you just take five, like you were saying, five to 10 minutes. So can you talk a little bit about like the power of a small habit and maybe an example in your life, something recently maybe that you've added or changed that has begun to make a difference in your life? Yeah, this it's such a good insight because all of us have tried to make dramatic changes in our lives and yeah. that can work occasionally. God does make sometimes there's like day and night, U-turn, big difference, complete direction changed. But generally speaking, how most of us grow is by by small changes. And the small changes actually add up over time. And it, scripture reading would be a good one. Prayer, you know, I, I think a lot of us say, man, by the way, every Christian I know struggles in prayer. I don't, I've yet to meet a Christian who who says that I don't struggle in prayer. The, the closest I came was a guy who said, man, my prayer life's really suffering. And we were, you know, commiserating with him. And he's like, you know, some days I'm down to two hours a day and the rest of us just put our heads down like, oh man, <laughs> like, but even he felt he was struggling at two hours a day. So like yeah. all of us feel like we're struggling with prayer. No, none of us feel good. And what I found you, is, man. You, just, I want to pause you there real quick because I'm curious on that. Um, have you found your prayer life has grown? How has that changed the last, say, 10 years of your life? I feel like it's become more relational and quite honestly, I, I, I can't, I will say that I struggle with prayer. I do it every day, but I always feel like I'm a beginner at prayer. I, I read a book by uh, Paul Miller called A Praying Life. And it re- for some reason, it was just the right book at the right time. And it transformed my life. And the good thing is one of my friends who knew me really well said, I can tell you've changed. And for me, prayers just became a little bit more relational. I love his image. I think I quote it in the book that prayer isn't something that you add to your life, but it's a way that you manage your life. So rather than being like, oh, I got to do all this stuff and now I got to pray on top of it. He, he suggests that we see prayer as just being like, oh, I got this podcast thing, right? I got to do it. Okay. I need to pray as I'm doing it even like, Lord, help me. And that really just helped me. I think that my prayer life is probably a little less structured now and more spontaneous and free, which is, but I've got a long way to go. Hmm. Yeah. This uh, whole the, life, yeah. yeah. Go, go, go for, for it. it. No, I'll pause there. That's good. Yeah. Cause I, I'm always wondering that, that question with, with prayer, because I feel like sometimes I'll go in different stages where there's sometimes I'll go for maybe weeks, months where I just sense, okay, my goal is to pray. So like several weeks ago, case in point, I was praying for my kids, right? And just praying for some different things specifically, more of an intense time of prayer. But then there's other times, like you're saying, Daryl, where I'll, I'll just be, I'll be praying as I'm doing things. And so it's almost like there's different rhythms of prayer. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious your take on that, like how you're prayer life has kind of evolved because one of the things you say here, you talk about engaging the Bible, speaking with God. One of the people I love, I think you're familiar with him, Daniel Henderson, and he talks about just the importance of praying the scriptures, right? Um, and so how do you merge those two things, reading scripture and then prayer? One of my habits is in the morning getting up and spending some time in the Word of God. And I find 
this this really fuels my prayer life. So spending time in the word of God, I wake up fairly early in the morning. So, and this is so circumstantial because I tell people this and it's like, it's, it's just, there's nothing virtuous about it. It's just like, I wake up early in the morning, right? Um, and other people, it's much better at night. So I'm not advocating everybody do it. But for me, I, that time in the word really fuels my prayer life. I talk, I've talked to other people and for them, it's Christian music or actually the guy I know who prays two hours a day. He says, when I wake up in the morning, I am stone cold spiritually. And he actually doesn't read the Bible right away. He needs to read uh, some other Christian literature and that begins to warm him up. And then he's like, okay, now I can read the word. And then after reading the word, he feels um, like he's able to engage in, in prayer. So I think it's like knowing yourself, but for me, yeah, it's spending the time in the word. And then what I do Ezra, is I use an app called prayer mate and um, it just categorizes different areas that I want to pray for. And it, I've got it set to, I think, 10 things that I want to pray for. And it just brings up people that I haven't prayed for recently. And then after that, uh, if, if I'm having a good day, I spend some time uh, writing my prayer. So I'll just open up a, another app and I use it as a journal and kind of just journal my prayer for the day, the stuff that I'm thinking about and praying for. So, But everybody's so different. One time I told my wife, I think I, I, I was trying to push everybody to using a certain uh, Bible reading plan for the year and she she did it and she came back and she said you ruin my devotional life um you impose what worked for you and what you thought should work for everybody on me and it completely destroyed my devotional life so i'm always so careful about telling other people you know you need to do this um it, it's so individual what the rhythms of your life I, I was reminded of this yesterday right i gotta put everything through the filter of would this work for a uh, mother of newborn twins. Mm. And if it doesn't, I can't be dogmatic about it. The last thing I want to do is put a heap of condemnation on somebody. Like if you're a mother of newborn twins, you're hanging on to sanity with your thumbnail, you're with your, your na the nails of your hand, right? Like it, we're so different. And depending on where we are, the seasons of life, we need to figure out what, what works for us. That's Dave, great. we talked about journaling before, beforehand. Yeah. And, Hey, Daryl, so you mentioned that a little bit. How important is journaling? What's that look like? Because I say that I'm someone who's passionate about journaling. Started about seven years ago, I think. I was listening to Mark Batterson speak, and he just talked about the importance. And he, and he said, "You something to this effect, you have to start journaling. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do it. And, and I had always never been consistent. I'd do it for like two or three months, and then I would quit just over and over again. But something clicked that day, and I've stuck with it. And it hasn't always been great. Um, but just that writing even a couple sentences a day has been helpful because I go back three years from now and it shows up in my day one app. Okay, this is what you were thinking three years ago. I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's different than what I'm thinking today. Um, how do you do it? I love the day one app. So I'm also a big fan of that and I use it. That, that I would what, never that's that, what you use? It is. Okay. I would never be dogmatic and tell other people they need to use it because I think, you know, anytime... <laughs> Anytime scripture doesn't say, you know, thou must journal, it's, it's, a, mm -hmm. I think it, there's freedom, but I find it helpful. I love writing. So, but for other people, it might not work. It might not be that effective. So I'd be careful about telling everybody that they need to do it. But for, yeah, for a lot of us, it really can be helpful. And I remember one time opening it up and I was like, I think I've been in a funk for a year. And that was kind of a way, because it brings back what you journaled. And it was like, I think I've got it. That was really sobering for me to realize 
I'm not in a good spot right now. So, and other times it's encouraging, like you say, to open it up and realize that you've grown and you're not facing the same challenges anymore. So yeah, I find it really helpful. You know, Ezra, I, I was so helped by one time Mark Dever was asked, what's your devotional life like? And if you know Mark Dever, Mark Dever is kind of like this, you have this image of him being, you know, he lives in a different level spiritually than the rest of us. At least that's the image you have of him. And he said, it, you know, it really depends. Sometimes it's an hour and sometimes it's five minutes. You know, I've only got five minutes on the way out and my, you know, I open the word and, and I read it for two minutes and pray for two minutes or whatever. Like um, it, and that was freeing for me to realize like there really is an ebb and flow and it doesn't have to look the same all the time. And even a spiritual giant can say like, yeah, I've only got five minutes today and that's okay. Yeah. I love the idea of just trying to frame it for people in terms of other relationships. So, you know, if, uh, so, uh, last night we had a kid in our room at some point, it was just an, it, it was like a no sleep night for mom and dad. Um, so I woke up late with scrambling, getting coffee out the door. I barely saw Jess and, um, you know, in terms of like devotional life and, and time, time with God, like if that time doesn't happen, I don't despair in the same way like, oh, I didn't talk to Jess before I left this morning. I know what I'll do. I'll just not talk to her the rest of the day either and guilt myself over the fact that I didn't talk to her this morning. Like, no, of course not. I'm going to text her. Uh, I'm going to go back at lunch and talk to her for a while. Um, like, just sort of reframing some of these things in that like, hey, life happens. And I think I think Satan likes to get a lot of people in this sort of binary all or nothing. I'm either going to do three hours and pray for every missionary I know every day, every morning, or I'm going to do nothing. And I, I think that kind of, that sort of guilt feeling, like why would you want to go spend some time with someone that you always feel guilty around? Like there's just so many uh, bad things that kind of circle around that idea of spending time with God. And that's been helpful for me as we've navigated young children and various little steps of life, just like learning to spend time with God throughout the day and not freaking out if I miss my routine in the morning. Um, and I say that as like a continually recovering, like, um, perfectionist who, yeah. So yeah, thank you. That's the whole idea of, you know, that they're doing small things and doing them consistently, but not perfectly. And over, I, I really believe if somebody spends five minutes in prayer every day, maybe they don't pray now, but they begin to pray five minutes, say five days of the week from now on, not perfectly, but that that's huge. That's much better than praying for half an hour and then getting discouraged and quitting and then coming back, um, you know, a couple of weeks later and trying again and getting discouraged. One day I was part of a panel. I actually got to attend a panel. I loved it because it was a whole bunch of people and like, okay, uh, I was, happened to be teaching about the habits and building these habits into your life. And the pastor was so smart because he got a group of, I think about six or eight uh, eight people, different genders, different ages, different life stages and everything and said, okay, you, how do you do it? How does this work in your life? What I loved is every person had a different answer. You know, the, the young mother, it looked very different than the retired person. And the retired person said, it wasn't like this 20 years ago when I was mid-career. And just to see the freedom, all of them had built the habits into their life, but it looked so different for each of them. And I think there's great freedom and, and God's okay with, yeah. you know, obviously he's okay with the difference between us. He made us all different. Right. And yeah, yeah so it, there's a freedom there. I think, uh, was it Willard that said something about like, 
experimenting with the discipline, spiritual disciplines. I, I think, you know, as one, one thing that came out of me reading uh, your work, Daryl, is that I'm going to, I'm going to try some of the journaling. I, I've had little success with journaling as, as does he loves it. There are other things that I like, I have to do every day or I feel like my world is upside down. Um, a scripture memory would be one of those things, but I, I kind of think in, in that one specifically, why did God build that into my life? It's not because I'm such a strong or spiritual person, but he knew that I needed that. So in some ways, yeah. these individual plans, I feel yeah. like God knows what we need yeah. and, and helps us build these habits in. Is that- See, and D- Dave, I just want to tack on that because I have tried st- scripture memory. Okay, I've done hmm. James, First John, like I've, I've enjoyed it and it's been very good and, and I want to keep that rhythm, but I really struggle with scripture memory. And for me, I get much more out of writing stuff out. If I'm going through a funk... I'll just go out on the back porch and I'll start writing. And that helps me break out of that. Like, like that's, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel like even in my life, that's probably one of the reasons I journal as much as I do, just because that's one of my ways that I break out of funks, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did a, one of these studies last week and it, it, the Berkman, and it comes up with different areas that you're good at. And for me, um, the top one was 99% literary. And so it makes sense that, okay, like journaling is going to be important for me, but I would imagine if somebody comes up literary that it's 5%, maybe journaling is not going to work for them. Yeah. So whereas outdoors, I was with a guy and outdoors for him was like sky high. He's got to be outdoors for him to be functioning in a a good way. So for him, when he gets in a spiritual funk, he goes hunting. Uh, Ray Orland is again like that. I hate to keep mentioning Ray Orland, but he says like, I remember hearing him in person saying, one of the things that makes him a good pastor is shooting deer every year. And in a sense, I think he would call that almost like a spiritual discipline, which is weird to think about. But for him, it makes him a better Christian and a better pastor to be able to do that. My father-in-law is that way in Alaska. He'll go out and, you know, at the end of a busy year of construction, he's just, man, he wants to get out in the countryside and be alone and hunt. And that's, you know, it kind of leads into your habit number six. You talk about caring for your body. I'm just finishing a book or just finished it, uh, Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. And I've read different books the last few years about just the importance of having a good balance and how you think and how you care for yourself, your diet, exercise, and all, all these different things. How big of an impact do you think these um, other things uh, have on our walk with God? And if we don't have them in line, what does that do to our relationship with God? I, I interviewed a guy, uh, Dr. Greg Allison, who wrote a book called Embodied. And he, he said mm. a student came to him one day and said, I'm really struggling spiritually. And they got into his life and it's like, okay, well, what's going on? And he said, you know, I'm, it came out that he was eating basically junk food all the time and he wasn't sleeping at night. I think he was down to a few hours sleep and he's like, I really need spiritual help. And Dr. Allison was like, it's, it sounds like you need to improve your diet and sleep habits because <laughs> nobody could thrive spiritually living the way that you do. Huh. And the student left saying, I am so di- basically, I'm so disappointed in you. I was looking for spiritual wisdom and you told me to improve my diet and, and my sleep habits. And I think the point he was making is we live really as modern day Gnostics. It's Gnostic. Um, yes, it is. It's, it's Gnosticism, yes. which is really the, the body as a container. The really important part is the spiritual part of our lives. And God cares about our souls, but not about our bodies. Well, God made us as embodied beings. 
And as great a theologian as Don Carson said, and this this will be freeing if anything that I haven't said, <laughs> um, he said, sometimes if you are sleep deprived, you don't need, you probably don't need to spend half an hour. If you've got a choice, probably go take a nap. Like don't spend half an hour doing Bible study. If you're sleep deprived, that's probably going to help your soul more than anything. So yeah, I think it's critical. Yeah. I think that it's hard to function as human beings, uh, integrated human beings made in the image of God, if if we're neglecting caring for our bodies. By the way, I say that, I know there's such a, we live in a culture that's body obsessed. It's, it's kind of ironic, oh. right? Even as we downplay the body, I think what I'm not talking about is you've got to become like the, I live among young 20, 30 year old, Instagrammable, beautiful people. I'm not talking about like you've got to get ripped and your your BMI has to be like, you know, 15 or 16 or your body fat has to be. I'm talking about how do we how do we live in a way that we're able to function the way that God intends? And that's going to look different for all of us. But and there's lots of grace for failure. But how do we live in a way that we can function well as human beings, including spiritually? Yeah, I, I, I yeah. As I said, I jumped on this part of it, reading it, uh, because I, I think what you what you're saying is so crucial that you can't disconnect this. You know, you have this spiritual side, and then you have this physical thing. Like you say, we're we're embodied; it's together, and so there's a very symbiotic relationship. Now, obviously, like you said, if we if we make everything about exercise, of course, like. We're, we're pretty good at making idols out of things that are even good. And so I, I'm not advocating for that, but I just think it really it really resonated with me. You said just t- taking care of this is part of uh, uh, s- small habits. You know, I think one of, the, one of the small habits for me has been less Mountain Dew and more water. <laughs> just like just having water around. You know, it's a small thing, but it's actually made a big difference in my life. And uh, yeah, I just I really appreciated that section you're writing. Yeah, I think that's made a huge difference in my life when I I just thought back to different rhythms and things like that. And just the importance of working out, even like this morning, I was feeling a little bit anxious, right? And so the first thing this morning wasn't going to the Word and spending time with God. It was actually going and working out. And that really paved the way. And, and here's kind of a thought that's been going around in my mind. I've been thinking about this a little bit, I guess, in light of Afghanistan. I have different friends that are have been in the military. And a common statement is, man, we spent you know, 20 years over there. And now it's like this that you see in the news. Like how? And I say that not to get political, but lots of Christians, I've heard different say different things like, man, so like that, there was 10 years of my life that I just felt like it was wasted. I saw no fruit. I don't know what God was doing. And I feel like part of the growth as a Christian is that we begin to trust God with our limitations and realizing, okay, there are areas in my life where I need to put in rhythms, extra rhythms and extra disciplines in in place and trust that God will, you know, I'm not going to go seven days a week. I'm going to go six, as you talk about in the book, Daryl, and and trust that God can do more with my six than I can with seven. And and tithing is an example. In all these different ways, it feels like God limits us in the short run, and we don't really always understand it, but then in the long run— we're just so much more healthier and, and beneficial. Um, I'm guessing your wife has had a little bit of role to, to play in this habit in your life. Absolutely. And yeah, to see her transformation, she would say her physical transformation was the gateway to her spiritual hmm. transformation. So really? like you, she would say, it was only when I began to you know, lose this 60, 70 pounds that somehow, I think the disciplines are, the habits are transferable, right? 
she's like, I'm not only do I feel better and have more energy, but it gave her somehow she was able to translate that into being more disciplined in her spiritual life at the same time. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah. And it's definitely, so she's in, in writing both books, she was like, if you do not include the body, uh, we're going to have a serious conversation. So it was definitely, I think it's, she won't it's read so, your books. Huh? Oh, it, I mean, the first book, the, she was the first reader. And yeah. uh, on page one, she scribbled on the, the, the first draft. She's like, blah, I've lost interest already. Uh, I'm ready to put this book down and not pick it up again. So she's willing to give me good feedback. Yeah. Uh, that's great. I, I a, can I can I go here as just I, one question no, I have? No, except, no. Except, I'm just going to do it anyways. So one of the things you said in here, uh, through Sabbath keeping, we gain rest, renewal, and reverence. And you also made a case about watching out for things that perhaps uh, might be recreation but are not very restful. And I just, uh, with, with as we as peer-reviewed journal articles are now starting to connect. Uh, I think it was Jean. Uh, we say her last name wrong. Twingy, twin. Uh, connecting. Um, depression and anxiety rates that are on the rise, suicide rates on the rise, along with the amount of time spent in, in front of screens. Um, do, do we have good grounds yet? I feel like sometimes we get like halfway there and saying, this the way God designed us is good, right, and best. You should rest. But we don't want to be legalistic about it. But these things are terrible for you. But, you know, we don't want to... I, I feel like I always am asking, I'm wanting somebody to take the next step. You know, um, my dad, happy birthday, dad, by the way, 59, uh, yesterday, two days ago. Um, he, uh, 10 years ago, uh, miraculous, became a Christian, uh, he's a hardcore alcoholic. And all of the people in his life with his, with his addiction, uh, the way that that was um, overcome was not like, hey, you really need to start managing your drinking in a more responsible way. They realized he had an addiction and was like, you need to like cut this out of your life so that you can do these things. Like, at what point do we start telling people, this is so bad, it's, it was designed to like suck you in for as long as possible, blow your money, blow your time. That's why it's designed. That's what it's designed to do. You probably need to lay this down or put some severe restrictions on it. Like, why is there such a fear to say those things? That was like such a long windup. Sorry for the monologue. You can tell I'm passionate <laughs> about it. But I just feel, I, I see so many students that are just so sucked into this stuff. And I want to be like, man, relationship with God is so much better. It's so awesome. It's so great. But they're just addicted to some of this stuff that just is a joy sucker. I think the the challenge is that these things, generally speaking, I mean, there's there is a purpose for them, right? I I don't yeah. know about you guys, but I'm sure that you you, I, you I'm sure you promote your podcast on social media. Oh yeah, and so you know there is a legitimate use. I I found people like um, Newport writing about digital minimalism is like, man, use it for what it's good at, and then get off. I find that most people, if you say, how did you spend last night? Oh, you know, I was scrolling social. And I found myself, it was two hours. If you say, how did you feel when you were done that? Most people I talk to say, I did not feel good. I feel like I felt like I guilty. I felt like I'd wasted a couple hours. I felt more anxious. Same with Netflix. Like I love a good show. I love movies. I never feel good about 
taking a Sabbath and going on Netflix and, and just binging, right? It always leaves me feeling, rather than energized, it leaves me feeling uh, somehow de-energized and, and like I've wasted time. So I think, David, you're right on to something. We, we don't pay enough attention to the toll it's taking on us. And we're meant for in-person relationships. We're meant to engage mm-hmm. in things that refresh us. And for all of us, it's different. So I think Piper talks about if you are on your computer all week, working in an office job or IT job or pretty well anything these days, get off the computer on your Sabbath and go do something physical, like go for a walk or get out in nature. It just makes sense to engage different muscles and do stuff that refreshes you. If you're a a factory laborer and maybe you're like on your feet all week or doing physical things, maybe read a book. Maybe that's going to be the thing that refreshes you. So probably just learning like what energizes you, what gives you freedom and makes you feel more alive and do more of that and get rid of the stuff that makes you feel de-energized and, and less alive. D- Daryl, let's close on this note. Uh, the person listening, watching, and they are, they, they have maybe, um, they've read the Bible a time or two, but they're, they've really struggled to develop much of a habit in their life. What do you say to them? Where do they start? Well, I would say, I mean, there is a huge benefit in shrinking the challenge. You are not, you are an ever, there's no person alive who doesn't have habits. The way to begin is to give yourself a lot of grace because God already has given you a lot of grace. Mm. Take the pressure off. And if whatever, God is not approaching you as uh, somebody who's let him down. He is, I, I'm struck in, in a, this was it came up again yesterday in a passage that I was preaching. God is so merciful and so gracious. He doesn't hand it out with a little teardropper, right? He lavishes mm. grace on us. Amen. No matter what, where you've been, no matter how much you failed, there is grace for where you are. And keep shrinking the challenge. Uh, begin as small as possible. If you fail, just pick up your, you know, the next day and say, okay, I'm going to try again. He is not exasperated with you. He is. He is waiting mm-hmm. to meet with you. So um, the other thing I would say, just adding on that is don't walk alone. Uh, yes. I really benefited from people who, man, they know the worst about me and they'd love me anyways. Find somebody like that who can encourage you on your down days. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the kind of fake encouragement, but the kind of person who's just like, I am so committed to you and you can't screw up badly enough that I'm going to ditch you. I'm going to be walking with you. And those two things just, God is gracious, um, and and we need people keep going even when it's hard and shrink the challenge. Best places people can find you online, access your resources? Yeah, I think the place to start would be Dash House, D-A-S-H, and then House, so two H's in the middle, dot com. That would be a good place to start. Yeah, fantastic resources. And awesome. just to, to those in our American audience, uh, pick a book up on Amazon. It's an easy way to do it uh, through Moody's, so another great way. They're always doing 50% off sales, so that's handy as well. So, Daryl, thank you so much for taking some time to come on. Hey, I love what you're doing. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.